Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. I am really excited about speaking today. Uh, so is my daughter. She's giving me a fist bump. Thank you, Kira. Um, we also have, I keep forgetting, we have a balcony. And so um, balconies can be great, especially if you have social anxiety like I do. I love being like in the back and where people can't see me, but I could still participate and I can say I was legally there. I like that. So um, we are starting a new series uh, for the next three or four weeks, and I'm really excited. And to set it up, it goes like this. When I was 13, I walked into Cloquet Gospel Tabernacle, probably one of the most oddest names I've ever heard. Like I said, you want to come to my tabernacle? I'm like, no, I'm good, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, you probably would. Um, and I, I walked in, and one of the first people I met was uh, a gal by the name of Nikki, then Erickson, and we became best friends and fell in love, and we got married. And I found so much um, belonging in this church. It was a very, it was a Pentecostal church, right, where you can get up and run around and yell at the devil. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and it was very evangelical and very, um, very fundamental. And I also ended up working for a very evangelical, uh, charismatic church as well for a long time. And in that time of my life, like my teenage and 20s, it really served me well because it was celebrated to um, have like mystery and wonder about having this experience with God. We would have once a month um, like an hour and a half of worship where people would cry, they'd stand up, people would dance, um, people would, what did you, we used to call that? People would get slain in the spirit. Anyone remember those days? So, um, and then we would pray for each other for a long time. There was times where we'd... Um, we, didn't, we weren't supposed to call it exorcism because that scared people exactly, right? But we'd pray that demons would be cast out. And um, I had some really meaningful experiences, a lot. Um, a lot of them I don't participate anymore, um, but that doesn't take away in that time of my life. It, it really meant something to me. Um, and it was, again, it was this idea of study the Bible and memorize Proverbs and pray Psalms and... Uh, look at the stories of Jesus and find the mystery and wonder and the layers and layers and layers of truth. And I got to explore as a teenager and as a young adult and even as a pastor, I feel like I had freedom to move around this world and like everything was home until it wasn't. And I remember one of the first times when I was moving in mystery and wonder and uh, what I got was um, this is a threat. I have always believed in evolution I never thought that if you, if you believe in the world was created in six days, I'm fine with that. I really don't care because I think it's billions. If you think it's six, then we start at the same point that God created something good, and I, we end at the same point. God called everything good. So I never thought it was controversial. And I found an article. I was probably, man, probably 28, 29, and uh, it was an article saying it's, 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 it's pretty unlikely that the human race could have come from only two humans, that you would need a vast, vast, vast gene pool in order to have evolution as homo sapiens as we have, right? And so I sent this article to my boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, who was the lead pastor. 
And I, I just thought, this is a fascinating conversation and mystery and wonder. And I, um, we bumped into each other in the hallway a couple hours later. I'm like, hey, what about that article? And what I got was, yeah. And it was the first time from this pastor that I felt like there was a threat or shame. And then what he ended up telling me later, he goes, Chris, don't tell anyone what you really believe. And I remember, like, again, red flag, right? That should have been, like, number one. And I, and I remember just thinking, that is a horrible way to live life, right? And all of a sudden, that was the first of many thoughts or ideas of moving in mystery wonder. It's like I, it was like they said, you can move anywhere in this forest and play and experience and mine the depths of this experience with God until I hit a guardrail that I didn't know existed. And they use the word guardrails because it's a way to keep us safe, right? And I call them boundaries because it's kept to keep you in, right? It was not meant to keep me safe. And I wanted to know something that was beyond those guardrails. There was this whole wilderness out there that I felt we had permission that it's safe, right? If the receipt is love, that it should be safe to move in this forest. And what I found out is that when you have any community of people, right, including neighborhood uh, or a family system or an organization or a church, there's going to be a group of people, um, traditionally it's been men, you're welcome, all right? We've done great things with the patriarchy, so anyone seen Barbie yet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once I found out it wasn't about horses, I wasn't interested anymore. <laughs> all right, that's an inside joke. Um, patriarchy horses. Oh, um, once you, once that group of people deem what is, they use the word sacred, holy, um, true, right? They also funny get to decide where those guardrails are, right? And they'd say it's because we want to remain orthodox. We want to stay true to the Bible. Well, the problem is like, what is true, right? How do, how do we decide the people who deem what is true and deem and set up those guardrails is to reinforce their idea or their interpretation of truth. And funny, it's going to hold that power. It's going to hold that value. It's going to hold that pleasure. It's going to hold that money, right? People don't like talking about church and money, but it holds that money tightly. Um, and usually it's people who look alike, right? Who vote alike, um, who have a similar amount of money, spend money alike, right? It's very, that's just kind of how it goes. And, um, but the, 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 the problem with that is, is who gets to decide what's true? Because truth, if we said, well, what's truth? Then we probably have all our own idea. There's some truth we can, I imagine we can all agree on, all right? So, Kira, ask, ask me use the word before in a sentence. Two plus two, before, right? So one, that's a great joke, right? That's a great joke. That's from the common man. I stole it. Number two, we could all agree that facts, oh, not even today we can't, all right? But anyways, most facts, all right, uh, we believe those are true, right? But if, like, let's say um, someone asked me, Chris, is it true that you love your wife? I'd say, yeah, I am lucky that she still looks me in the eyes, all right? So I, I love that. But maybe someone else would look at the way Nikki and I argue. Maybe they'd look at the way we raise our children. Maybe they would look at the way we laugh. Nikki and I have been working together for two, two decades. Did you say ever, Nikki? <laughs> Forever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Save me, Barbie. Um, 
Um, we've been working together for a long time, and there's moments we work really, really well together, and there's some moments we do not work well together. Some people might see that, including our staff. <laughs> um, and they'd say, well, because the way you treat each other, the way that you um, raise your kids, the way you embody those values, that's very different from mine, so therefore it's not true, right? Because what's true for me really is true for me, but just because it's different, for example, right? Someone who is aromantic, right? Rom rom romance is not their highest need, right? So the way they experience love and express love is going to look different than Nikki and I, who are two cisgendered straight people, right? It's same with polyamorous people, right? It's very different than my marriage, right? And who am I to say, well, that love is less than the love I have. This is true, and that level of truth is like, eh, you should have just tried harder. Right? We've, all of us have probably experienced that to some level. So what are we supposed to do with that? If truth can be this nuanced thing, some people take that as an absolute threat. Right? It has to be, this is true. I lost a, a very good friend uh, four years ago because of this very thing. And he said, Chris, uh, Christians have been holding this truth, exactly what he said, this truth, for 2,000 years. And I'm like hey, not to burst your bubble, but it's really like 60 years, <laughs> right? But we can, we can establish this truth as historical. Why? Because it reinforces my power, reinforces my pleasure. And how boring of Christianity would it be if we held a certain set of beliefs for thousands and thousands and thousands of years exactly the same, right? I think there's multiple interpretations and I think there's multiple ways of experiencing the divine and reading the Bible. But this is scary because if you get up to that guardrail, right, and you look beyond it and you feel excited about it, you're going to lose influence. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose sleep. And I imagine I know a lot of your stories. You, you've already done that. The word we use is deconstruction or reordering of spirituality. And it is the most freeing, wonderful thing I've experienced and the most painful, one of the most painful things. But it's a, it's a wild place to live. And there, is that mystery and wonder is what makes the Bible feel alive to me. So I, will, I have talked with people and talking about um, evolving uh, faith. And we'll say, they talk about money. Man, I found new ways of thinking about money, investing, and saving. I never heard of this person or this book. When it comes to like their body and their health, people are always looking for new inspirational ways of being their fullest self. So they're willing to be open and nuanced, mystery and wonder in almost everything in their life. There's like this, this wide area of life. And then it's like the Bible. And people are like, no, <laughs> slow down there, my man, right? And theology or thinking about God. And they can't, and I, I want to get a tattoo um, that just like says something really clever like that. You, do you see how this and this don't have to be different. Like, you can have a nuanced way about finances, but somehow what you believed in confirmation in 15 years old, as a 50-year-old, you're saying this can only be true, right? And why? Well, if you believe, how do I say this correctly? If you believe in heaven, and you believe in hell, and hell is a conscious torment of eternity, right? Or even if it's, like um, where you just cease to exist, right? Some people believe that's what it is. Um, that's going to scare, well, I shouldn't say that. That's going to scare 
that place out of you, right? And it's going to motivate you to make sure you are certain on what you believe. Absolutely certain. And if in your brain, you say, if I say this prayer, I hold this truth, I don't question this, and you just are like, boom, boom, boom. And you don't even have to do it, right? Those beliefs, you don't even have to practice. You just have to believe it because believing is enough. And once I am certain about those things, then I feel like I get to go to the good place. Big fan of the good place. And if you, if, if you do believe in hell, that's going to motivate you to not compromise those truths. Can you see how that is? All right, a little caveat. This is what I tell people. If people believe in hell, and I'm fine with people who think differently than me, if you believe in, I guess you do this online, if you believe in hell, all right, um, I really don't people believe, literally believe in hell. Most Christians just want to feel special. They want to feel like they're getting paid for their sacrifices, for their hard work of choosing to be this person. Because if you really, literally believed in hell and you didn't spend every waking minute of your life trying to get, just start with the first level, the people you love, to do the things you did in order to get to the good place, then that would be a monster. If you went to bed at night and thought, well, Grandpa might be going to hell for eternity, right? And so that's my, that's my caveat. So now back to the message. All right, what are they talking about? Hell and truth and nuanced. Yeah, this is, this is uh, oh, yeah. So there's, there, there's multiple interpretations that I'm fascinated with. Like, I want to know well, what uh, a womanist theology thinks about Romans 1, right? That is a very controversial uh, part of the Bible, uh, verses 18 to 32. I want to know what queer theology says about that. I want to know what Eastern Orthodox says. I want to know what the early church fathers thought about that. That fascinates me. And for me, that's not a threat. We can have multiple ways of thinking, multiple ways of believing and worshiping, and we can all still belong. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at um, a couple different passages or stories that we might say, oh, yeah, I believe this to be true. Take a step back and using mystery and wonder, reimagining is really what we're doing, what it could possibly mean. And where we start today is a banger. And it's First Peter, your favorite epistle, First Peter. And it's in chapter 5, and Peter writes, Give all your worries and cares to God, for they care about you. Right? That's a feel-good verse. That's like something you want to throw up on your refrigerator. Right? Right next to, like, live, laugh, love, you throw up, cast all your cares upon them. Right? Um, and Peter, like, in the first four chapters, he lays out some really hard things. And imagine he's trying to encourage his friends. And so he's like, hey, just take all that worry. And what a beautiful way of thinking. Right? Of, like, I don't have to have any worries. God loves me, so God can take all those worries so I can live this good and beautiful life with no worries. Um, there's just a, a problem with that. It, it's impossible, right? It's impossible. Is, is Peter saying, to, if, if you worry a, a little bit, then you're sinning? Is Peter saying, you have to have a life that is just fully peaceful, and any level of worry, therefore you're less than or bad? No, not at all. But what was, so the saying is, things are better caught than taught. And what I caught, uh, especially when I was a teenager, when it came to mental health, it was, yeah, maybe you should go see the doctor, or maybe you should read the Bible every day for 30 minutes. Those are very similar, by the way. <laughs> Red flag. So, um, so what I experienced as an anxious person, I never knew, I never had the word anxious I was a very anxious kid and a very anxious teenager. And in my head, I was just an extrovert. I thought I was just a natural-born leader because I had a wheel 
to this day, that never stops. It's like, right? And it served me because I could work 60, 70 hours a week, and people would celebrate it because I was a man, right? And like, yeah, you don't, you're not at home. You're out there working for the Lord. And it's like, I am just anxious, <laughs> and I'm doing this to survive. Um, uh, but as a, as a teenager, what I heard when they would talk about this verse is, if I have anxiety, I have worry, then I must have some hidden sin in my life. If I have anxiety and I have worry, I must not be trusting that God is big enough, that God is good enough. Maybe I'm not really the word we would use. Oh, man, I never use this word. But the word we used, uh, trigger word, trigger warning, is, um, is I never really believed I was really saved because I was anxious. And because I had sin in my life, which was worry, it would keep me up at night. And I would pray like crazy, begging the Lord to take my anxiety away, right? To the point where I'd be crying, where I felt horrible. That is not a good and beautiful God. That is not the gospel of Christ, right? But can you see how an interpretation can lead to, like, and this is a whole idea of that um, holiness is a lack of something. You are holy if you are not in grief. You are holy if you're not anxious. You are holy if you, you fill in the blank. It's a lack of things instead of the fullness of things. Man, you guys are getting it all today. This is one thing that I just don't understand. Uh, uh, I've been to funerals where um, people would say, well, um, scary Gary, right? Scary Gary, he was a Christian, born-again Christian, and man, did he love Jesus. So he's in heaven. So why should we be sad? Let's not be sad. Let's not grieve. Let's celebrate. If I knew Scary Gary, I'd be like, are you a monster? <laughs> I'm sad because Scary Gary and I went to school together. We raised our kids together. And it's like, is, is grief and sadness, even if you believe he went to heaven, is that somehow bad? But if you believe that it is, that you have to be happy all the time, that you have to be peaceful all the time, that you have to be the perfect partner all the time, and you have to just walk around and say, isn't life great, right? I, I, I still feel that. Like somehow the real me is a threat to not just God, but to a good life. And here's the problem. Peter saying, cast all those carries, worries on to God is still true, but one chapter before that, he writes this. First uh, Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, though something strange were happening to you. Chris version. Um, hey, there's going to be a lot of pain in your life, so buckle up and you're not crazy. Right? That's what he's saying. And he's mimicking what Jesus said. Jesus said, in this world, you will find trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We don't need to be surprised when there's deep pain in our lives. We don't have to be surprised that we feel like we're tolerating our job. We don't have to be surprised that recovery might be hard, right? We don't have to be surprised that we're in a place where we feel numb and depressed and getting out of bed is hard. I listened, I listened to one pastor give a message, and, and he said, depression's not real, sin is. I'm like, whoa, yeah, right? So what are we supposed to do with this, right? How does this lead to any kind of transformation? Um, uh, what's his name? Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr. I've used this tons of times, but it's really good. He says, transformation only happens in two things, deep pain and deep love. That's it, right? I would choose deep love all the time, all right? Big fan of deep love. Me meeting Nikki and falling in love. Well, 
deep love for me, deep pain for Nikki, meeting my kids for the first time, all right? <laughs> Two very different experiences um, um, of experiencing, seeing the mountains for the first time, right? Like there's deep love that moves you and transforms you. If I was ever going to write a memoir, and my partner can attest to this, um, it's going to be called Move It Twice, because I have to do everything two times before I get it right, right? It's like, oh, you have to like square the ground and the roof? Ah, oh, take it off, right? So, um, and so w- what that means is that we don't have to be perfect. We can be messy. We can have pain. And we can be transformed if we allow it to be our teacher, right? If you are not awake to the reality of what you are living and experiencing and you're just avoiding it, if you're numbing yourself to it, if you're just trying to get around it, you're trying to work harder than it, it's, it's, it's going to cost you. But if you can be present and understand, I am not bad, I'm not less than, I am not horrible, I am not uh, excluded because I have grief, right? So, example. Um, this winter and spring was... Um, the one of the ooh, try not to cry. One of the hardest um, seasons of my life I've ever had. It was, <clears throat> it was lonely, and it was sleepless, and I was angry, and I was um, afraid, and I had a lot of shame, right? And I'm not going to say it because we're recording it of what that is. I'm more than willing to talk about it if you're curious, right? I have no problem. Um, but what happened, what, what transpired brought up things from um, several years ago that was very, very traumatic. And I never used the word trauma because I felt like I was just doing my job, right? And some things got exposed where I felt responsible and I felt like I should have been able to stop it. And it was my therapist said, okay, now I can laugh. What my therapist said, I said, I should have stopped it. I had the power. And what he, Joshua looked at me, and he goes, what kind of power do you think you had? And I'm like, I'm going to cry for four hours now, <laughs> right? Um, it was so hard. I, I laid awake at night going through my head, experiencing deep, deep fear, right? Oh, it was rough. I'm in a, I'm in a better spot than I was. Um, it cost me sleep. It cost me time. It cost my physical health. I'm having, I have physical ramifications because of it, um, and I'm working through it, right? I'm doing the best I can do, the best that I can. The reason I bring it up is I have a lot of scars in my life, right? I'm not old. I'm 42. I know. I look like I'm wise old sage. You're welcome. Um, but I have enough scars in my life where I can look and say, that pain transformed me. That pain was my teacher. Us becoming neighborhood church was also very hard. I have scars from that right? And um, it taught me and reminded me and reinforced me. These wounds that I'm working through right now, like I see my doctor in two weeks, right? These wounds that are um, exposed, I can look at them instead of saying, I'm a horrible person. I should just try it harder. It's reminding me of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why Nikki and I lead the church the way we do, right? This is why we're raising our kids the way we do. This is why we're leading our staff the way we do. This is why we have embodied these values the way we do, because we're not going to tell that story anymore. We have a better story. But you have to be awake to the pain. So many people just want to run from it. So many people just want to, like, distract from it. 
Instead, if you can be conscious with it and have mystery and wonder with your pain, then I can say, oh, I can't swear. I almost swore for the first time in church, right? Um, I can say that I'm a miracle. And I'm not healed. I'm not perfect. I still have those open wounds. And I can say I'm a miracle, that I'm sacred, that I'm holy, that I'm loved, and that I'm good, right? Even though I don't feel those things, I know those are true. And I can trust through this process what's going to happen is going to be more scars that will tell a story of transformation and beauty and love and inclusion. So here's my invitation. My invitation is multiple. Maybe you've hit a guardrail in your life. You put that there, or your parent, your family system put it there, your doctor put that there, a pastor put it there, your coach put it there, and you hit it, and you have mystery and wonder that's saying, maybe you should go out. For some of you, it might be wise. You're like, maybe I shouldn't. Then don't. This is not a message of saying, do whatever you want, whatever you feel, just run through it. And like, hey, Chris said, ignore red flags. So, but maybe for some of you, you are hitting it, and you feel that mystery wonder of to go experience that, to go question that, to go read that, to go talk about that, to go to therapy for that, right? To go in recovery for that. Whatever it might be, you can do it. You have freedom, and you are worth it. It does not determine your self-worth. It does not determine if you're good or bad. I believe the gospel is that you've always been good, that you've always been included. You've always been deeply loved. It's just sometimes we need to awaken to that. Secondly is this. What truths have you made true that may no longer be true? Right? What truths have you established? It's like you, you, you put it up on the mantle, and you said, that's, that's truth, and maybe it's not working for you anymore. And maybe you feel fear, maybe you feel shame, maybe you feel some sort of resistance, and that might be a sign it's not, you're not ready yet. But for some of you, maybe you are carrying some worry that maybe it is time. You're like, oh, I'm ready to put that carry on God. For some of us, we're not there yet. We're still working through it. But you are a miracle. And your mental health, your pleasure, your body, your spirituality, your emotional health are all absolutely worth it. And you have freedom, not, I shouldn't say just here, but here, one thing that we embody, one thing we value is that we can have multiple expressions of divine love, which will look different for all of us, which means mystery and wonder should lead us in different places, and we can come back together, right, and share those stories and inspire each other to continue on. So I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, if you felt something, and not in some emotional manipulation, I'm not trying to manipulate you by telling that story, I realize, and I realize that, but if you feel something of you feel like you're ready to move on, you're ready to put that worry, you're ready to go through that guardrail, or you feel a lot of grief, right? Oh, big part of the story. Um, while I was in, in that traumatic period, I felt, this is, this is really important, I, there was a lot of other people who experienced that trauma, right? And their trauma, you guys ever play this game? I, their trauma I deemed more traumatic than my trauma, right? And so because of that, I looked and said, that's real trauma. My trauma is different. Therefore, I need to man up. I need to buckle up. I need this, that's not trauma. That's real trauma. And so you rank people's trauma, right? You rank people's needs. You rank people's preferences. 
and then you discount your own. That's, we don't need to do that, right? Multiple things can be true in the same space. I experienced trauma. Those people experienced trauma. And we can both move towards healing with mystery and wonder. So, big part of the story. If you feel that, maybe you feel like your concerns, your fears, or your needs, or your trauma, or your shame, you, you can, God wants to do good things in you. So if any of those apply, as I pray, receive it for yourself. So God, thank you that you are eternally good. And that mystery and wonder, mystery does not lead us to an absence of truth. Mystery invites us into a more well-rounded, wild truth that exists. And for me, and I imagine many others, that's what we want. We want to continue to experience the depths and the wildness and the freedom and the wonder of your love. And we get to embody that love. It is within. So even now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us awake to that deep, deep love that has always been there. And that thing we said, that thing that was done to us, the thing that we thought, the thing that we missed, the thing that we grieve, does not move the needle of our worth or that love. And we say yes and amen to that. And for my friends here or listening online who are ready to experience beyond that guardrail, God, I pray you'll give them the moxie, the wisdom, and the strength, and the sisu to continue on. And I thank you that there is a whole community of people in this space who are championing each other, inspiring each other to continue to move into that wilderness because it's in those places, in the wildness, that we can experience new ways of being and new ways of loving. So we love you, God. Amen. All right. If anyone wants to process or you'd like to pray or you have some questions or you want to talk about the Barbie movie, uh, I'm going to be up around the whole time, and Nikki or myself, we would love to process with you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.